we are starting the Advent season. And in your bulletin, it tells, us, tells you a little bit about that and also on our website if you need more information about Advent. But I want to challenge you to begin to do something uh, for really the next uh, 30 days, really the next 35 to 40 days. Let's just say 40. How's that? Um, I want to encourage you, if you don't have one of our devotionals, to just go pick one up and make the commitment uh, starting today to take two minutes Now, I hope you're taking more time than that, but if you're doing no minutes, I'd like you to start with two, all right, and to commit to do a devotional reading each day. Uh, So it's a great place to start. If you don't have a regular time that you're spending with the Lord each day, this is a great place for you to start, and that's why I want. Now, you may already have your own material. That's fantastic. Then do that. But if you don't have anything, we want to offer this to you. Now, there's also a slide uh, that we might have for you. Uh, if Maybe you're an online person and it helps you more. And uh, DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Dr. Bailey has a, a great deal that they're offering right now that you can go to. And um, you see the uh, RPC slash expectation. Uh, you can go there and we'll have it sent to you each day if you want to do that. So if that would be easier, uh, you can go about that route if you'd rather just get it online. But really, really want to challenge you to carve out some time. If you want this to be a meaningful time uh, this season, then it's going to start with you making time and making space for the Spirit of God to speak to you and to grow you. And so, uh, again, great devotionals. These are out there. Pick up one. Uh, pick one up for each member of your family if you want to. would love for you to use that. Uh, if you're, you would say, you know what, I know I'll do it. If, if it's online, then you can do it that way. And if you have other material, that's great. The important thing is to begin. And if you've already started, then God bless you. Uh, you can expand. All right, so uh, I, want to make, I want this to make, mean the most to you this season. Uh, we're doing something called Glorious Expectation, and for the next four weeks, really the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about this, and typically when we talk about Advent, <clears throat> matter of fact, let me, let me go ahead and just educate you for just a second, because I think these are great words for you, for you to know. When you talk about Advent, to particularly, uh, it, it usually is in reference to when Christ First came. Now, Advent simply means appearing or presence, arrival, okay, in our language. So, Advent is actually a Latin word, all right? So, that's what it's typically. Now, if you went back a thousand years ago, that's not what they were necessarily thinking uh, about Advent. They were thinking uh, more about the future, but we've kind of taken on the term now for Advent. We, we're typically thinking of when Jesus first came, the first Advent, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. So that's typically what we're talking about. Uh, and we, as we celebrate the Advent season, we are reflecting upon how Christ came and anticipating on his second coming. Well, this year in Advent, we're going to do it a little bit differently. So I'm going to kind of start, uh, instead of back, I'm going to start in the future and work back. Okay, so we're going to talk about something for the, for the next two weeks called the parousia. Now, this is the Greek word. As a matter of fact, we, you're not going to see it in the Bible because it's already been translated uh, as the, the arrival of the coming of the Lord. But if this is the Greek word. When you see it in the New Testament, we know it. If you study Greek, uh, when I took New Testament Greek, uh, when you saw the word parousia, it anticipated the second coming of Christ. Okay, where Advent, which was the Latin word, uh, typically means the, se- the first coming. It really could do both. Perusia is pretty much exclusively talking about when Christ comes for the second time. So we have the word. There you go, Perusia. It's a Greek word. We, we don't use it in our vernacular in our language today. But it's anticipating. It's with the understanding of the second 
coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about the parousia today. All right, and we're going to look in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 here in just a moment. Now, what's interesting about this, you know, <clears throat> if you go to the movie theater, if you pick up uh, a, a paper or a guide or you look online for movies, you see this continual theme. You see this apocalyptic theme all the time, don't you? Matter of fact, I was reading an article yesterday. It said that there, this is unbelievable, but there are going to be 38 movies from what we've had here in 2016 and 2017, there will be 38 movies that are made about the end times. Our culture has a complete fascination right now with movies about the end time, okay? And in the last 20 years, there's been over 100 movies, and there's going to be 38 just in the next, well, counting this year and the next 12 months to come, there are going to be 38. So our culture is totally enthralled. You know, everything from Ratchet and Clank to The Arrival, uh, we see all these movies about the end times. Now, <clears throat> the Bible talks about that too, and we're going to address that subject. And there's a big word that's used in theology called eschatology. Eschatology. Now, ology means what? Does anybody know? If there's a teacher in here, I'm disappointed. Study of, there you go. So biology is the study of life. So if we bring that into theology, Christology is the study of Christ. Theology, the study of God. Eschatology is the study of last. Eschat means last, end, okay? The study of end times, the study of last things. So those are two terms for you to understand as we look at our text today. And we see that our culture is already thinking about this. Our culture is already there. They're already wondering about the last times. There are already things that make mankind wonder about the last times. But we as Christians, we believe in the parousia, the coming of Christ. And as we read this text, this is a text I've done numerous times. Usually I do it, um, I do it at funerals. Uh, but I think there's a lot of hope because this is a great text about hope for the believer. And Paul is speaking here. He's writing this letter. And incidentally, this is one of the first books of the Bible written. This is one of the first letters ever written in the New Testament. Okay, Scholars uh, believe that it was written sometime, some say as early as 40, but probably sometime between 45 and 50 AD, this letter was written. Uh, Galatians was probably written near the same time or about the same time as well. But here's Paul writing a letter to the Thessalonian church. These are new believers, people who've come to Christ, and they're hearing conflicting messages, and they're disturbed, and they're confused. And Paul's writing them this letter, and he's helping them to understand. And he's even going to start up the phrase in the text that we'll read today by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you, I don't want you to un- misunderstand what's going on. So Paul is writing this letter to new believers, and it's written about 15 to 20 years after Jesus has died. Now, some of you might think, well, that was a long time, wasn't it? Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe everything that, uh, do you believe the Titanic sunk? By the way, there's, there's a group out there of historians who believe that the t- Titanic did not actually sink. Now, I, I know, you can do that about everything, can't you? I mean, we, I'm embarrassed to mention this because he's long gone now. But we used to have a member on our staff who didn't believe that there was everybody, any, a man that ever walked on the moon, okay? So, because he believed in the conspiracy theories. and so, I mean, he really believed it, all right? So, but do you believe there was somebody that walked on the moon? 
Why? That's, I mean, that's been almost 50 years ago. Why would you believe that? How can you believe those writings? Were you there? Oh, well, I saw it on TV. You know, just like my minister friend. You know, that, you know, look, with Hollywood today, all they could do, couldn't, couldn't that have just been a hoax? Couldn't have been a hoax. Couldn't have been easily hoax. What about 9-11? That was just a little over 15 years ago. If somebody, how would you know? What about Schindler's List? You saw that movie. How do we know that's true? That's been over, well, well over 50 years ago. Over, matter of fact, what is it, 75 years ago? Even longer. Why would we believe that? Because why? Because you could go and you could talk to firsthand accounts. And people who were there are people whose parents were there. And some people were still alive. And 15 years later, same thing, Paul. Paul could talk to people. He had experienced Christ. There were all these hundreds and hundreds of people who had seen Jesus, who had seen him reappear. That's why they believed. That's why it was so credible. That's why it's so important. This book is written so early. And so this letter is being sent. One of the very first letters to be sent out that will be uh, written down and transported to different churches in First Thessalonians. Why would this be one of the first letters? Well, I think... There's a great message in here for us to hear today as we'll look at this text. Now, we talked about last times, and I just want to fly through this, and then I'm going to give you some of it tomorrow. And next week, we're going to talk a lot about the new heavens and the new earth. So I want to encourage you to come back. Uh, I think it's going to be a great series. I want to encourage you to come back because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what is heaven, what is the new earth, and next week, we're going to talk about that. So um, with that said, let me give you the things that are going to happen to the believer uh, just so you kind of know this, and again, we'll be looking at this again next week. So what happens to the believer when a believer passes away? Because that's the question that they're asking in Thessalonica. That's what the early Christians, they want to know because the persecution has started. They're starting to feel persecuted and they've lost some of their members. Well, what happens at the, in the believer's afterlife? Well, first of all, we know that a believer physically dies. His body ceases to breathe out life. Then the soul immediately goes into the presence of God. Then the physical body is placed in the earth. Now, we'll talk just a little bit about this next week. It doesn't matter, um, in my opinion, and you're free to disagree. It doesn't matter if you were put into a tomb or if you were just put into the ground or if you were cremated. The Bible says dust to dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's actually from the Book of Common Prayer. But the Bible tells us we were formed from dust, okay, and we returned to dust. So given time, even in that casket, well, actually, they've made caskets now that supposedly, anyway, that's pretty modern, okay? We go back a thousand years, they've all disintegrated, okay, back into dust. So that's, so that's not a problem, in my opinion. Um, so then Christ will return, then the soul is reunited with the body. So to be absent, Paul tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So immediately upon death, our spirit goes to be with God in the abode of God. We call that heaven. Some would, uh, there's a term called paradise that's often used, but we can talk about that next week. Then uh, at that point, uh, until Christ returns, then the body is reunited, a glorified, a perfected body. Your, the perfected form of your body is reunited with the spirit of Christ, or with the, your spirit, excuse me, when Christ returns. Uh, the Bible also says the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we're all going to be together, the believer's afterlife. 
the glorious expectation, so to speak. Uh, and then finally, we will experience life in the new heaven and the new earth, okay? Really, the new earth. And we're going to talk about that next week. I don't want to confuse you. I'm probably already doing that. Uh, but I just wanted to give you a little head start to get your mind to start rolling a little bit. And some of you are going to come up and say, well, what about this? What about that? I read a book one time. I'm just going to go by what we specifically see in Scripture for right now, okay? And um, you're free to read your books and tell me about them. I'm, I'm great to hear about them, all right? I, I read a lot of the books. I've, I've read Hal Lindsey. And, uh, um, I, no, you don't even care about that. Let's just come back and start the message right here, okay? So we're just going to look at what Scripture says today. And I realize that there are a lot of eschatology views. I know some of you out there, and I know you have different views, and some of you were raised... Uh, a lot like I was, that there was only one view, and this is how it happens, and that's why they make movies about it, um, because this is the way it happened. Well, we're just going to look at Scripture today, so we're going to throw the movies out, so I want you to quit worrying about the movies, and if your movie was right, I can promise you some of it was wrong, uh, because somebody made it up to sell it, Uh, but with that said, we're going to look, and Paul's going to give us five things. First of all, he's going to tell us about, there's a reason I'm writing this to you. And the reason I'm, there's a reason here. I want you to know there's a reason I'm sending you this letter. There's a reason that I'm talking about this. And then he's going to talk about the return of Christ. And he's going to talk about the resurrection. The resurrection of the dead. And then he's going to talk about the rapture. Oh, there's that word. And, and by the way, hapazo. Is, uh, it's not found, actually, in the Bible, um, but it means to be uh, caught up or snatched up is what it means. And the reunion. So there's a reason, there's the return, there's the resurrection, there's the rapture, and there's a reunion. So let's look at our text and see what the Scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, about glorious expectation. And Paul is speaking here, and he says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. If you have the King James Version, it says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who are asleep. Paul starts right here and says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. You know, a lot of problems happen in our lives theologically and in the church because we're uninformed, because we're, we haven't studied to show ourselves approved as workmen that need not be ashamed who can rightly divide the word of truth. And Paul's saying, look, I know you've been hearing different messages. People have been telling you different things. They've been telling you, hey, look, um, what about those who died? Wasn't Jesus supposed to come before anybody died? What about the suffering? Aren't they going to miss out because they died? He goes, look, I don't want you to be ignorant. I, I don't want you to be uninformed. So I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. He's giving us the reason right here. Here's the reason I'm sharing this with you. He's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, sleep uh, simply uh, means this. It's a euphemism for dead. The body has departed. Uh, it's interesting, if, and we don't have time to look at it, but if you went to Jan- Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, in Daniel chapter 12, and in verse 2, uh, that same term is used about being asleep and that God's going to awaken those who are asleep. If you'll remember in John chapter 11, matter of fact, John 11, 11, 
Um, Jesus tells the disciples that I'm going to wake Lazarus up. Lazarus has already died. He's going to awaken him, okay? And again, remember, the spirit, resists with, uh, it, the spirit rests with God, but now the body is, is still here. And, you know, there's a lot of religions that say the body's not important, but that's not Christianity. God created you. Your body is uniquely formed. It is important, okay? And one day it's going to be perfected. And Paul is spe- speaking here, and he's saying, about those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. And he says that you may not, he didn't say that you may not grieve, by the way. This text is not saying that Christians should not grieve when you lose someone or something that is dear to you. It's not saying that at all. What does it say? It says that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Everyone needs to grieve. But the difference for the believer in Christ is that we believe this is not the end. So we have hope. We have glorious anticipation about what will happen. It doesn't lessen the pain. It doesn't make it simple or easy. It doesn't make me happy, but it gives me what? A hope. This morning, Junie lit the candle of hope because he believes one day that he will see his family again. He grieves, he hurts, he suffers, but with a hope that one day he will be with them Again, because they know Christ. So he says that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope or who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, and by the way, this is a creed uh, that early Christians would often use. Uh, and just, I know sometimes people get all hung up. I've heard that people, do you really believe there should be creeds in the, today in the church? You know what creed means? Credo it means I believe. It's a statement of belief. Yes, I believe that we should have them. We started off with one because it's just a succinct understanding of our basic doctrines. And so they're not bad. Um, I know sometimes people get all lit up about that. But they sure. I figure if Paul used them, maybe it'd be okay for us. All right? So uh, I know some of you maybe not like him. But nevertheless, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So we believe that Jesus died. This is a creed that the New Testament church would often quote. Jesus died. He rose again. We see the death. We see the burial. We see the resurrection. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring those who have fallen asleep. He's going to bring those who have died with him one day when he returns. Go to verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And again, I mentioned this earlier. Some of them were very concerned because they heard about this magnificent coming of Christ. They didn't know what it was going to be like. They didn't know if he's coming on a horse with a military. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they knew that Jesus was coming and that the kingdom was going to be uh, restored and everything was going to be made right. Uh, Heaven was going to come to earth, so to speak, and they knew Christ was coming. And so they greatly anticipated it in their lifetime. And so... Some of them were worried, well, what about the people who've died? They're going to miss this. They're going to miss what's happened. And Paul lets them know, hey, don't worry about that because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. So you don't have to worry about it. And he said, for this we declare to you, once again, by word from the Lord, that we who are alive and are left 
until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend. Okay, this is the return. This is what we're talking about. This verse 16 and 17 are very important. So uh, I would encourage you to mark these with your big pencil or with a pencil in your mind. For the Lord himself will descend. So we know the Lord is coming. This is a fact. This is the parousia, the word that we started off with. The second advent, the anticipation of Christ's coming. So the Bible says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, your translation might say it, with a shout uh, of command, with the voice of an archangel. Uh, By the way, in that passage I referenced earlier in Daniel chapter 12, Michael is listed as the archangel. Uh, Now scholars can debate that, but uh, possibly it's going to be Michael uh, who will present this. And he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and with the voice of an angel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. It's like the call to battle. It's the call to prepare. It's called something is about to happen. The Lord's coming. The deity is on its way. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? So the Lord's descended. Uh, The dead in Christ will rise. So we see the resurrection. We see how they are rising from the dead. Their bodies are being reunited their spirit. So we see the return. We see the resurrection. Now let's continue. And then we who are alive or left will be caught up. There's that word right there. Uh, which means rapture, okay, or we've interpreted the word rapture, caught up together with them in the clouds. So we've seen the return, we've seen the resurrection, and now here's the rapture. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Together, which that's an interesting word right there. Um, Sin, it, it means the gathering, coming together. It's the word we have for synagogue the assembling of together. So he's literally talking right here and he's saying, so then we who are alive or left will be raptured with them and into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always in synagogue, in togetherness, be with the Lord. We will all be together with the Lord. So what have we seen? We've seen, first of all, we saw the reason. Uh, Secondly, we've seen the resurrection. Thirdly, uh, we've seen, uh, excuse me, first of all, we saw the return. Secondly, we saw the resurrection. Then we've seen the rapture. Now we see the reunion. The return, the resurrection, the rapture, and the reunion. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together, the rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always, the reunion, I do believe, and we'll talk about this next week, I do believe you will be able to identify your loved ones who've gone on before you. I, I do believe that. And I know some, there's some scripture you tell, well, I don't think that's what scripture teaches. I think you misunderstand scripture, my humble opinion, okay? I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Um, you say, what about the verse where Jesus said, we're not going to be marrying and giving marriage? That's right, there aren't going to be any weddings in heaven. So, I didn't mean you won't recognize your loved ones, all right? So uh, David, even uh, in Psalms, said, talked about going to his child, his child who died. What do I believe about that? I believe in the sanctity of life. I believe those children that died, I believe one day you will see them. Now, I know some of you have got a theology that you're concerned about that. Good for you. I'm not concerned about that. I really don't. I just, Scripture, I, I just see from what I see in Scripture uh, that 
that's what God's going to do. All right? And um, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want you to be encouraged. You're grieving. They had just lost people that they loved dearly. Some family, parents, children, brothers, sisters. Some because of persecution. And he said, I don't want you to grieve without hope. I don't want you to be ignorant of the facts. I want you to understand. I want you to understand. Let me give you this reason. I want you to understand that Christ is going to return. And there's going to be a resurrection of those whom you have lost. And if Christ comes while you're still here, you're going to be raptured to be with him. And you're going to be reunited together. Now, comfort and encourage one another with this word, with this passage, with this truth. Be encouraged. You have hope. It's a good word for us today. Good passage for us to learn. Now, uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some very practical specifics about how we handle this. Because, again, you will typically hear this passage uh, at funerals or when someone suffers a great loss because it's just such a great passage uh, for believers to hear. So I want to give you some practical things that you can use. And we've talked about this before, but it's one of the most requested messages that I've ever done. And so I want us to understand this. Uh, first of all, let's talk about when somebody passes away, when he's talking about, as Paul was addressing this letter, he's, he's talking about, I want you to encourage others. Let's talk about how you don't encourage others how we don't say things that Jesus or no one else in the Bible said, so neither should you, okay? So let me give you 10 things to not say, to not do, all right? All right, here's thing. First of all, do not say something stupid like this. Well, brother, it's just all part of God's plan. That may be true, but you don't know what that is, and that is not helpful there, okay? You're not God, if you want to give him scripture, read, that's fine, but let's don't say that. God just needed another angel. Well, that's ridiculous too. God doesn't need another angel, and they're not becoming angels. So let's just erase that one from our vocabulary. Number three, um, he is in a better place. That's true. They're in a better place, but you're grieving right now, and that's not the word of comfort. It's not what Paul is saying right now. I know exactly how you feel. Well, unless you've had that exact same situation at that exact same age, then you don't. And you don't even know the other scenario with them. So don't try to make that moment about you, okay? Um, you know, they would not want you to be sad right now. Just slap somebody if they ever say that to you, okay? Just, just slap them. I'm not even thinking that way. Next. Um, I can't remember what the next one is. Okay. You can get married again and have more children. That one's, you get the stupidity award right there. You know what I mean? Who's going to go, you don't get to talk anymore. We're going to keep you away from people, okay? Don't say that. Um, be strong. Don't let your family see you be sad. You got kids. Don't let them see you. You know what? It's okay. Be, be real. Yeah, there might be some things that you don't share with your children, absolutely. But you don't have to act like you're happy-go-lucky. Focus on all you have to be thankful for. Let's just let's be happy for what we do have. Okay, let me rip your family away and see how happy you are. And you focus on it. Cheer up. It could, things could be worse. <laughs> or the worst thing you could do is nothing. Ignore them. 
you know, we've had some folks on this board, and one of the most painful things is when people just go the other way because they don't know what to say. You know, if you can just come there and just, sometimes it's just a hug. It's just a handshake. It's just a prayer. It's just presence. If you don't know what to say, that's fine. Don't say anything. Just be there. So let's talk about what we should do when that happens. What, what should we do? What are the things that we absolutely should do when something of this nature happens? Well, how do I practically do that? Well, first of all, be present. Be available. Be around. Don't wait for them to ask you to show up. Now, I'm not saying go camp out at their house and drive them crazy, uh, but I am saying be present. Make yourself available continually. If it's someone you love, you've lost someone. Number two, serve. What are some little things that you could do? Does their yard need to be mowed? Does their dog need to be fed? Their kids need to be picked up? Meals. These are all meaningful things. Uh, the, just the little things of life. You can serve. You can encourage. Tell them how much they mean to you. How much you love them. Tell them about good things that you remember from maybe the person that they lost. Just listen to them. Just be quiet and listen. Cry. Cry with them. Include them. Invite them. Yeah, you know what? Most time they're going to say no, but just keep asking. Um, you know, I, I think of so many stories. I think about a family who lost a child in our church, and <clears throat> we uh, tried and tried and tried to reach out, and uh, they really wouldn't respond for a long time. And so uh, I remember giving them to a couple say, hey, we'd really like to. And they tried for a few times, and then pretty soon the family left, which, which happens sometimes. And I remember talking to them about three years later and said, tell me where you are. I said, well, we just got disappointed because we felt like nobody really reached out to us when we were ready. And I was thinking in my head, we reached out to you guys for about six months. But you know what? They weren't ready. So then when they were ready, and sometimes it just goes that way. It's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. And we make mistakes as a church, and I confess that. Then pray. Let them hear you pray for them. Leaving a message on the phone or just taking time to pray with them. Share scripture. And what scripture would I say? I would just read what we just read. First Thessalonians, and this is for believers, of course. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I, you don't need to do a sermon. Just read it and encourage them. And then persevere. Just persevere with them. That's what we can do. That's how we can encourage as we remember the return of Christ, the resurrection of the believers, the rapture, and the reunion. Now I want to go back through one more time, just so you'll have it in your mind, what's going to ha- what happens to the believer, because this is a question that keeps getting asked. So what happens? So someone dies, and their body is physically laid into the ground. And after they die, their soul goes to the presence of God. The physical body is replaced or is, uh, is placed in the ground. Christ re- one day Christ will return. When he returns, the soul is united with the body. And then there's the believer's afterlife. The glory of the believer unites at that time with other believers. Coming together, we talked about that. And then there's the appearance before the Bema seat. This is for the believers, the Bema seat. That is the judgment for believers based on the things that we've done, the life that we've lived. 
And then believers will reign with Christ forever. And then there's the eternity that we will spend in the new heaven, the new earth. And I'll go ahead and give this part away. When Christ comes back, he will establish a new heaven, a new earth. Now, uh, when I say new heaven, there's the heaven, the boat. Of, when the Jews thought of heaven, and Paul even talks about this, there were three, three heavens that they thought of when they talked about the heavens. There's the boat of God. Then there was the universe where the stars, the galaxy is, and then there was the immediate sky where the birds of the air are. So when he's talking about the new heaven and the new earth, he's talking about the new heaven. He's, t- he's not talking about the new abode of God. He's talking about the new universe here where we live. He's going to recreate it. He's going to make all things perfect, all things new. And we will be for eternity upon the new earth and the new heavens and the new earth as defined by Scripture. And so we will talk about this next week. But I think it's incumbent upon us to understand, first of all, to remember that Paul does not, the Bible does not want us to be ignorant. He wants us to recognize that Christ is returning. Number three, he wants us to know that there's going to be a resurrection. Number four, he wants us to know there's going to be a rapture. Number five, there's going to be a reunion for all those who know Christ. And then one day, God's going to make everything perfected here. He's going to come again. This whole earth's going to be renewed. And there's going to be a new eternity that we're part of. Not a new eternity, but the eternity of which we've all longed for. So here's a good way to think about it. Suppose that you had a grandfather who you found out was leaving you hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix your house in 10 years from now. It's already been in trust, and you're going to get it in 10 years. You're going to get a quarter of a million dollars, but it has to be specifically, you can't go buy a new home. You are to redo the new home, the home that you now live in and exist in and perfect it and put it in the manner in which you had always dreamed. Some might take the attitude, if that's going to happen, I'm not going to do anything for this house. (laughs) I'm not sanding, I'm not painting, I'm not doing anything. Something breaks, I'm just going to leave it broken because I know one day we're going to get all this money and we're going to get it all restored. That's one mentality. Another might say, shoot, we can just trash this place out. (laughs) We don't have to worry about it at all. Might be your teenage son. We can just trash this place. Who cares? Grandpa's money's coming here. We'll be fine. And yet your mother might say, you know what? That's true. We're going to be able to restore all the pipes that are rusty, the holes, the fixtures. We're going to be, everything is to be made new and perfected. And the kitchen that I always dreamed of, the way you wanted your room, the bathroom, the porch, the, the, the yard, everything's going to be just like we dreamed. But you know what? Let's go ahead and begin to keep things up and let's begin to to live like it's going to happen. Let's take care of what we have. Let's make the most of what we have until that day because one day when we get there, we don't want to go in with a trashed out mindset. We don't go in the mindset. We don't fix and we don't repair and we don't take care of things. We want to go with the attitude of thanksgiving and to make the most of what we have and be thankful. And that will honor Grandpa and that will be, that's, that's the way I want you to live. And that's the message for us today. It's easy for us to get focused on the future and say, you know, just forget this world. Let's just get on out of here. I don't even care. Forget that election. Forget those people. Forget the schools. Forget everything. Let's just get out of here. That's all I'm focusing on. And you're taking that teenage mindset. God has left us here to bring 
heaven to earth. His kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is on heaven. And yes, one day we're going to get a great reward. We're going to get a great opportunity. But until that day, we are to make the most of the days and the opportunities that Christ has given us. We comfort one another and we're encouraged that the future is that Christ will come and we will be taken and our bodies will be perfected. Those whom we love who know Christ will be reunited and will live and will dwell in a kingdom with Christ and all those we love forever. But until that day, we can use that to comfort. We make the most of what we have. We share the hope of Christ with others. We share the good news. We seek to bring God's kingdom to this earth and make the most. We let them know about the importance that one day Jesus is coming. There's going to be a return. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, Christ has offered forgiveness. And for all those who know him, they will be resurrected and they will be caught up with him. And they'll spend eternity together with all who believe. It's a great hope, a great comfort. But don't let it stop you from living life today in the manner in which God has called us to give an account for the hope that is in us. What about you? Have you accepted him? Do you know him? This message ought to be encouraging to you. If not, I want to encourage you to receive him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for this message of hope. This message of hope about how things are going to end, how things are going to be in the final analysis. But Lord, today, let it bring us hope to continue to make the most of the opportunities that you put before us with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family, with those at work. Let us share and give them hope and encouragement and strength. Lord, for those who've lost those loved ones and this time of year that's difficult, Lord, I pray that we would be present, that we would persevere with them, that we would encourage, that we would pray, that we would strengthen, that we would serve. Let us rid ourselves of these pithy statements that we've heard on TV or somewhere and think that we've accomplished something by throwing out words of ignorance. And let it be about the hope that's within us. Let us start to live as kingdom-minded servants of Christ who have hope and who encourage and endure in the face of turmoil and tragedy. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, for those who have not hope today that they would receive it in you, Christ Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.